We are glad that you are listening to this audio recording produced by All Things New Church of Birmingham, Alabama. For more information regarding the ministries of All Things New Church, please visit us online at www.allthingsnew.us. This has got to be one of the coolest places I've ever had an Easter service. This is really amazing. John chapter 20. This wouldn't have worked last year. I don't know if you guys remember last year, Easter was the earliest it's been in like 200 years because it's based on the lunar calendar and it was cold last year, if I remember right. And um, this would not have happened. John chapter 20. Now, the calls he's read out of John chapter 20, the story of the resurrection. Now, the last two sentences, I think Alan read them. If you'll look at verse 17 and 18... This is the climax of John's entire incredible account of the life of Jesus. These two verses. Now they're kind of weird, so they catch you off guard, but they are the climactic moment of the whole story of the life of Christ that John tells us. Starting in verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, Jesus is saying a lot there, and it's always been difficult for us to wrap our minds around what he's saying. You know, it, could, it sounds like, is he kind of um, stuffy and like, you know, he's got personal space and she's violating and he's like, back off, woman. This is not appropriate. I, I'm, I doubt that's the issue. But one thing is certain that John, that John is trying to say to us in this biography of Jesus He's showing us that the resurrected Jesus is real. One of the things John is doing is he's saying this isn't like the opening scene of Macbeth. Christ is not some ghost. It's not like Richard Dawkins and the new form of atheism is saying that this was a figment of the imagination. of the. John is showing that he is physical. He can be clung to. He can be touched. John is making that point that Christ really has risen from the dead. He was physically and thoroughly dead. And then after three days, he was physically and thoroughly alive. It actually happened. And for John, that's Easter. Jesus really is alive again. Christ is risen. And that's how we started our service. The same way that John ends his incredible account of the life of Jesus. Remember the first thing we did as a group in the service. Christ is risen. That was our confession and declaration. Now, what's interesting about John's account of the resurrection of Jesus is what's missing. There's something missing from John's account that fills the sermons on Easter day and most of the songs we've done this morning. It's this. In most of our songs, when we sing about the resurrected Christ and in most sermons on Easter day in churches, we make a connection between his rising from the dead and the gift we get out of that of eternal life and that when we die, we don't go to the bad place. But John never makes that connection. He never connects Jesus' resurrection to our future state. Now, that's a good connection. And Paul, 
Anytime he talks about the resurrection, he can't help but make that connection. But what's curious is none of the gospels draw that connection. Not that it's wrong, it's just not their agenda. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take John on his own terms. And we're going to ask, John, what is the resurrection about to you? So, first of all, go back to verse 17. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father. For a Jew, there was a whole cloud of cultural knowledge condensed into that one concept of ascension. Now, to most of us reading today, because we don't have that Jewish cultural understanding, it almost gives you the impression that he's flying off into space like Casper and he's leaving us. But to Jews, it was the exact opposite. To Jews, the ascension had, a, had thousands of years of cultural history compacted into that word. I mean, it's almost like me saying to you, the only thing you have to fear is, see, you know that. That's your cultural heritage. Um, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Or, or ask not what your country can do for you. But, I mean, we have these things that our culture has programmed us. We know, when, that's why it's repeated twice. I'm going to ascend. No, go tell them I'm ascending. He's not saying, go tell them, I'm leaving your booty here and I'm out of this place. He's saying to them this. I told you before I died that I was the king of the universe. And now I'm about to do that thing that all Jews know. If somebody does it, he's the king of the universe. That was a culturally coded word of saying, Jesus is really the king. He's the Lord of all the cosmos. That's John's first big point. What does the resurrection say? It says that Jesus is vindicated. All of those statements he had that said, I am the boss. I really am God. I really am the creator. He was vindicated and proven right. Now we see it again in verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Now, that wasn't just some polite way of referring to Jesus. Again, it was a culturally loaded use of the expression. Now, you could use Lord in a generic way, but we don't have time to go into it this morning. But there are a lot of clues that indicate the way she's using it there. She's saying, I've seen not any old person I respect, but I've seen the Lord. In other words, John in the resurrection isn't saying anything about the future. He's saying something about now, that Christ is the king. Now, that's not all he says. Something else John is trying to say to us when he talks about the resurrection is really, really cool. But to catch it, You've got to understand something unique about John's gospel that sets him apart from Matthew and Mark and Luke, the other three biographies of Jesus. And it's this. John is a theologian of creation. Creation is big time to John. Now, 
those of you who've grown up in church, you might remember what the first verse of John is. What in the beginning was the word. Now, that's not a free of charge phrase. Any Jew, if they heard that word, they would have immediately thought, does anybody know? The first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look, I can't say the only thing we have to fear. I mean, without you immediately downloading into your consciousness the rest of the statement, right? To a Jew in that day and age, there was no free repeat of in the beginning. So John is starting his story of the life of Jesus the same way Moses started his story of the, of the life of the universe. So on, on syllable one of his gospel, John is setting an agenda. He's saying the God who created everything is Jesus. That's who he is. Now, we see this in verse 1, but there's a whole lot more places in the book of John where he's drawing these incredible connections between the life of Jesus and Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the original count of creation. And he's constantly drawing you back and forth. Let me just show you two that come into play big time in chapter 20 with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1, God created humans on the sixth day, okay? Now that, I mean, the Jews knew that as well as you and you know, happy birthday as a song. I mean, it was, it was stamped into their DNA. When Jesus is on trial, he's just been flogged. And if you were at the people's house on Friday night, In Mel Gibson's movie, they got it right. It's something that only John of all the Gospels records. After he's flogged and he's presented to the Jewish people, Pilate says what? Behold the man. Now, John, that happened on Friday, the sixth day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. In other words, John, the the theologian of creation, is saying on day six, God created humanity. And then he alone, after 50 years, he wrote this 50 years after it happened. He thought about it longer than any other gospel writer before he wrote the biography of Jesus. He had told these stories for 50 years. He had witnessed about the life of Christ. And at the end of his life, he's writing it down and he wants us to know that it is Christ who is the true humanity. He is, he's drawing a, a deep connection between Jesus and creation. Now, I'm going to put all this together in a minute and show us what it ultimately means. But let me show you one more thing. Way back in Genesis chapter 2, God finished creating the universe and rested on which day? The seventh day. It goes like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rested. 
He finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Now when we go back to John's account of these last few days of Jesus' life, the first sentence that Korah read to us, John chapter 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and it's empty. Now, look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, comma, the first day of the week. Now, like I said, John wrote this 50 years later. And when John tells you something twice, it's because he wants you to think long and hard about it. He wants you to ponder it. When we read Moses' account of creation, the creator rests on day seven. That's Saturday. And when we read John's account of the resurrection, he tells us very clearly that Jesus is crucified on Friday, the sixth day, the day of preparation is what John calls it. And what was Jesus doing on Saturday? He was laying down in the tomb. You see, John understood that Jesus is the creator. And just like in Genesis, he's finished his work and he's resting. Now, what does all this mean? For John, who's thought about this for 50 years, he's processed it and he's showing us something. He's showing us that Easter is the start of the new creation. That something happened in that resurrection that changed things. And the world turned a corner. John is trying to say to us that that morning was the start of the new creation, a new day. The creator made the whole world and rested on the seventh day. And then thousands of years later, the creator shows up in the flesh. He's the perfect man. On the sixth day, he finishes his work. Just look at chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus says on the cross, when he'd received the sour wine, again, only John records this, it is finished. I'm finished. Just like I did in the beginning, on the sixth day, I finished this gig. He defeats evil. He forgives sin. He finished his work, and then he rested. And on the first day of the new week, Sunday, he got up, he rises from the dead, and all things are new. The world's turned a corner. We're in a new epoch. This is a new era. This is the new creation. All things are being made new. John is trying to make a very deep point. He is saying that Christ has inaugurated the new creation. Now go back to John chapter 20, verse 14. Now remember John, for 50 years he's thought about it. There's nothing in John that's a throwaway statement. 
There's nothing that's just filler. It's lean. It's like a Clint Eastwood movie. It's tight. There's no extra space. Look what happens in verse 14. Mary Magdalene turned around and saw Jesus standing. But let me just point something out. John's a great literary artist. Look at verse 13. She says to um, these angels, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And she turned around and she saw him standing. John, John just delights in messing with our mental images. She's looking for him laying down. That's why she doesn't recognize him standing up. But she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Who are you looking? You're looking for a laying down person? It's the start of the new week. It's the start of, who are you seeking? And look what it says. Supposing him to be the gardener. Only John records that. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. See, it's still in her mind. He's, he's horizontal. Tell me where you've laid him. She didn't know it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. No other disciple picked this little statement up. What is John saying to us? I think after 50 years, John, the theologian of creation, realizes that Mary was right. He was the gardener. He was the creator God who, like Glenn said Friday morning, kicked this thing off in a garden. And the creator God has returned to his garden. And he's pulling up the thorns and thistles. And he's replacing it with dogwood trees. And he's replacing it with cherry blossoms and red buds. And and that's why we celebrate. That is why the church puts Easter in spring. Because all this life you hear. Because the gardener has returned. And, I, and I, don't, I don't just mean that in an ecological way. The bottom line for John, the main point of the resurrection is not about the future. It's not about what happens to me when I die and I go to some by and by. It's not about one glad morning when this life is over, I'm taking off like Casper and flying out of here. For John, he's not telling us anything about what will happen to us after we die. He's telling us that Jesus is the prototype of what God is now going to accomplish in the rest of his world. Easter is the start of the new creation. This is not about going to heaven when we die. Jesus is making everything new again. Now, let's tie it all together. Go back to verse 17. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Now in this cryptic, climactic passage of John's gospel, John is not only telling us that Jesus is real. He's not only telling us that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's the king of the universe. But he's saying to us, because Jesus is real, because he's risen, because he's the king of the universe, 
Because he has kick-started new creation, you have a job. You are my agents. Which is the last thing John tells us in his account of the resurrection. It's that a formally mentally unstable woman, Mary Magdalene, the only thing we know about her is that she was possessed by seven demons. She was not high on the totem pole of social, cultural power. It's interesting. She's the, the, the character of verse 1, and she's the character of the end of the resurrection account. She's the frame of the account. This woman who has no cultural capital, is running back as an agent of new creation. See, what John is saying is that all of us here, because Christ is risen from the dead, if you let your thoughts jump to the future, you're missing the powerful present consequence. And it's this. You have a job, an urgent job, an important job. Your job is to announce, just like Mary Magdalene, right? Announce. Not invite people to believe, but to declare, because you know it's true, to announce the king. That's John's big point. And when we jump to I'll fly away, do you see how it's taking us away from the reality that we're living in? For John, the resurrection is not some flight of fancy. It is a here and now huge consequence. You and I have a job and it's to announce that Jesus is Lord, that the world has turned a corner and that people have to be told about it. Look, you take away Christmas from the Bible and all you do is cut out two chapters at the beginning of Matthew and Luke. That's all. But you take away the resurrection and you take away the whole New Testament and you've got the heart of Christianity. You take away Easter and you have nothing left in the New Testament. Like Mary Magdalene, Jesus is telling you and me, go. Don't try to cling to me right now. Don't long for an escape from this place. Instead, go and tell. Tell the world that Jesus is king. Things have changed. There's a new creation. And you can join it. You don't have to live back on day six. You don't have to live the way things used to be. You are invited into the kingdom, the new creation. But now that's not all that we get to announce to the world. We're also, like Mary Magdalene, summoned to be a part of the new. See, we're not standing outside of the new creation telling people there it is. In John's gospel, he's making this this point, he's painting this picture that you and I are summoned into the new world now. Not some glad morning, not when it's all said and done, but now. Heaven and earth now are touching again. Go to Rwanda, the Peace and Reconciliation Commission. That's heaven touching earth. South Africa, apartheid ending without a a, a civil war? 
William Wilberforce ending slavery in Great Britain, the only country that's ended slavery ever without bloodshed? That's heaven touching earth. A husband and wife forgiving one another. That's heaven touching. That's new creation breaking through, just like daffodils are breaking through during this time of the year. A a self-confident type A over the mountain man yielding himself to his family. That's new birth. That's new life. We're summoned into this world. And like Adam, we are called to follow Jesus, the what? The gardener. And our job, just like Adam, God is saying to Adam, go into the garden and do what? Tend it. Pull out of it all of its potential. And God is telling Mark, and God is telling Emily, and he's telling me, and he's telling all of us, go into my creation and pull out of it all of the potential of the new heavens and the new earth because it's seeds. It's in there. It's the kingdom of God. It's breaking forth. We are called to be stewards of the new creation, to serve the new creation, to cultivate it, to pull out of it. Look, Look at it this way. The mission of the church, it's nothing more and nothing less than embracing, embodying, and spreading the new creation. Why do Janelle and I not lie to each other? Because we're in the new creation. That's not how you live in the new creation. And we've got the spirit in us giving us the power to live according to this new kingdom. We've got the power of the Spirit. And we are called not just to talk about Jesus, but to implement the achievement of Jesus in his death and resurrection. And when we do this, we advance the kingdom. And we show the world a glimpse of what it's going to be like when God wraps up his job of making all things new. When we spread the gospel, when we tell others about Jesus the Christ, the king of the world, we are stepping into the new creation. When we forgive each other and sacrificially give our resources away, when we make ourselves small and serve one another with humility, when we remind those in power that they will be held to account by Christ himself and that they must do justice and bring wise healing order to Birmingham, to the banking system of America and the world. When we do these things, God's new creation is bursting out. It's happening. We're unleashing the new creation on this world. And one day, when God covers the earth with his glory like water covers the seas, he will completely transform the old heavens and the earth into a new heavens and earth. And he will raise his children up from the dead to populate and rule over his entire renewed creation, just like Adam was told to rule over the garden. When we do these things, the new creation is happening. Like Adam in the garden, we are playing an active role in developing the life of the new creation. And look, That stretches my mind's ability to comprehend. When I have the temptation to be selfish 
and mean. And instead, I choose the new creation. That in that moment, I like the David Crowder song we're going to sing in a minute. What was said to the rose is said to me here in my chest. The new creation comes out of me. And if that's not enough, I mean, and I, I can't reach the end of that. John says one more thing. When we announce the kingship of Christ, we announce it in our words and in our actions, in our forgiveness, in our humility, in our missions, in our service. When we announce and demonstrate, when we embrace and embody and spread the kingdom of Christ, we will find ourselves changed. Something will happen just as real to you when you work up enough nerve to share your faith, when you serve the poor, when you go on a mission trip, when you work at Restoration Academy, or you go to the Black Belt and serve, this is one of the reasons why doing those things is so life-changing. It's not just a generic, let's go do nice things. When you do those things, it is because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is in you. And by his power, you are aligning yourself with God's project of new creation. You are aligning yourself with God's project of setting things right. When you serve the poor, You're following Christ into Thursday night before his resurrection where he got on his knees and served. And you're aligning yourself with this. And in those moments, because of Jesus' invitation, my father and your father, my God and your God, we are given the immense privilege of sharing the intimate life of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, deeply, intimately related. And when you embody the new creation, Christ says, okay, get a taste of this. That's the doorway into the intimacy. And when we yield to that call, Paul tells us in Romans that when we yield to the Holy Spirit inside of us, leading us to do these things, Paul says in Romans that the Spirit goes to work in our life. And he transforms us and shapes us into the image of the Son. You cannot grow into the image of Christ if you are not going and doing the new creation. You can't. It, that's just not the way it works here. What did John say to her? You, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, look, this is not how you're going to step into the new creation hanging out here. You want to step Mary Magdalene into the new creation? Here's what you got to do. You got to go and tell. You want real life bubbling up inside of you and flowing out of you? You You want joy and love to fill you up from the inside and flow out of you? You want peace and patience and kindness to be a characteristic of your life? You want goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control to dominate your life? 
then embrace, embody, and spread the gospel of Christ's kingdom and it will bloom in you just like the dogwood trees are blooming now. That's John's Easter message. Jesus is alive. And his resurrection shows us that he is the world's true king. And that God's new creation is not in the future. It's starting now. And you and I, no matter where we are in the scale of society, we have a job to do. An urgent and important job to announce the kingship of Christ. And when we do that right here and right now, the new creation breaks out. And that's why your life is renewed when you serve and give and witness and love. That's why you can never outgive God. Jesus is alive. The world turned a corner. And it's a new creation.